0: Hello and welcome back to Next Gen Minds podcast. I am a co host, Maddie Clark.
1: And I'm Fahim Khan.
0: And today we are joined by the one and only Suzanne Samaka. Suzanne is a stepmother of four, a mother of two, and her youngest being only a a year old this or next Sunday. Um, And not only is she a full time mum, but also works a full time job in corporate banking. On top of all of that, she is the brains behind the incredible Honest About Editing campaign, a campaign that is hoping to ensure the media are honest about editing by getting the government to amend media laws to label content that has been digitally amended online, for example, with the use of Photoshop, Facetune or filters. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, me me and Faheen are so excited to record this podcast with you I I can't even explain how many ideas and conversations we've been having um and we have so much we want to ask you firstly huge congrats on the success of your campaign I think it's you're almost like 70% of uh petitions signed thank you thank you yeah so we've got nearly 3,500
2: um signatures um and at the minute we're just trying to get as many as possible to put as much weight into uh the campaign public weight behind Mm -hmm. it uh so that we've got some weight to go into parliament and say how important this is um and i'll i'll go into a bit further um in a bit but uh, the reason being that it's it's quite a simple thing to fix I say fix in air quotes but um it's something that is the law in other countries so in France and Israel and very recently Norway
0: um so I don't really understand why we're not doing it here yeah absolutely and I, I just for those listeners that have never really heard about your campaign before um could you tell them a bit more about what it is and also what what it aims to do like what exactly is it you're doing and what are your goals like the end results
2: yeah absolutely so the campaign is called hashtag honesty about editing and what we're asking for is the labeling of digitally edited content online and in the media so if something's been filtered or photoshopped Facetuned, you know what we all see um then it has a kite mark or a label of some sort so people know that that person didn't wake up looking like that in the morning. Mm. Um, So we're asking, and just to go into a bit more, so um, I've got the support of a couple of MPs, my local MP, uh, a guy called Dean Russell, and also another MP who's called Dr Luke Evans. And Luke Evans, before being an MP, was a GP. And he saw very regularly uh, patients that had mental and physical health issues on the back of trying to achieve a body that often was doctored. Um, so they were trying to achieve something that was unrealistic and unachievable. Mm-hmm. Um so he's actually trying to get a bill passed in Parliament. So the stars have aligned a little bit because the campaign has the ability to provide the public weight and he has the ability to speak in Parliament about it. So we're fight, banging the same drum, if you like.
0: Mm, that's, that's amazing. I mean, talk about two powerheads coming together. That's ideal, ultimate duo um but what in terms of the campaign I mean it's such an amazing campaign I think loads of young people me and Faheen included know how social media and filtering and editing of pictures has such a negative impact for for young people um but I was wondering if you if you're okay to talk about what what really inspired you to start this campaign
2: yeah absolutely I mean so five years ago um a family member of ours was diagnosed with anorexia, and uh, I've never been close to eating disorders or even um, ex- mental health issues in young people prior to this time. Um, and to be honest, it completely blew our minds. Um, our family member spent uh, three periods of time in eating disorder inpatient units. And they were adolescent units, so everybody was under 18. And I just couldn't believe how full to in they were. Um, so whilst my family member was my first-hand experience, I think what absolutely blew me away was how many young people were affected by issues like this. Um, and aside from eating disorders per se, I also had so many experiences of friends or people that I knew who were suffering suffering with their self-esteem and issues with what they were seeing online predominantly. I mean, we've all spent a long time looking at magazines and billboards and so on, and we know that they're all doctored, but... um, what you see online you spend a, a lot more time looking at it and I think it has had a massive effect on people's self-esteem and body image and I just felt compelled to try and do something about it that was positive.
1: Mm. Yeah I I agree I think that um, there are quite a quite a lot of negative impacts that kind of stem from social media but just thinking about that, why do you think that there is this correlation between negative body imagery and eating disorders on on these social media platforms? I think um,
2: you know what I would state firstly is social people assume that I'm against social media, and I'm absolutely, absolutely not. I think it's a fantastic tool, used in the right way. Um, it's very, very easy on a, on social media to go down a rabbit hole, and algorithms are absolutely built to help us do that. Um, mm-hmm. But what it does do is it drives comparison. You only see the positives and a complete highlight reel of someone's life, um, and that's one thing. But when you're comparing yourself to what's not even real, that's... That's a completely different thing, and that has a direct effect on people's self-esteem if they're not in a good place when they're looking at that in content.
0: Mm. So yeah. almost... sorry, you go Fahin. You, you
1: go. Uh, Yeah, I, I I agree. That is so true because it's almost like a facade. We don't we don't really know what's what's happening in someone's life and over a screen, there's there's so much more that you could find out about but we just don't know.
2: Yeah, that is true and it, it is there are so many people or friends or or myself where a picture that you you post or or put on and you may know somebody's true situation and it, it just looks completely different to just see that image in isolation and then people are comparing themselves to 100 people for example of that image in isolation um but actually you're not seeing any of the negative parts of those 100 people so then people are quite often looking at their own life and thinking I'm either not doing that or I don't look like that or you know those those kind of comparisons
0: that it drives. Mm. I mean absolutely I think I mean since there was you know tv and media There's always been those kind of comparisons i and i i remember reading this article that was saying um i think there was some research going on about looking at playboy um the magazine and looking at how that they 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 idealize a certain kind of weight and figure and i think it seems like there's always bit. i mean there's always going to be these like ideals that we see in like of celebrities of like people that we idealise and we compare ourselves to ever since we've had, you know, TV and magazines. But for some reason, social media, like you said, it just feels so much bigger and almost the mass, like like the fact that we have so much availability, it's not just one magazine, it's not just one TV show, it is constant. The notifications are pinging always. We've not got Scott's Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got TikTok, there's so many platforms and there's not just one... Kind of TV show that we can watch at nine o'clock it's this kind of all-encompassing beast um that it's almost like we're comparing ourselves absolutely constantly. I mean you- um, a perfect example was
2: my mother-in-law actually and she said uh, she's not disagreeing with what I'm asking for but uh she's very much someone who will play Devil's Advocate. Uh, love it or hate it (laughs) but uh, she said to me but in my day we've always had magazines and you know uh, billboards posters that kind of thing I said yeah but the difference was you weren't looking at them for five, six, seven, eleven hours a day you know it's it's completely different in terms of and I I recently read that um, and you know, I, I'm not 100% sure how how much research is behind this, but the research that I read is that the human brain isn't evolved enough if it spends enough time looking at an image, it believes that that's real. Mm. So actually, the more you're looking at... um influencers and and the difference is it's not just your celebrities and your influencers as it might have been a couple of years ago now everybody has the the ability to edit their content and I'm not saying with the campaign that everybody should be labeled because obviously there will be a you know, if you're somebody with 100,000 followers, for example, that's a lot more influence than somebody with 100. So there will be a cuss-off. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference being that if you are somebody with 100,000 followers and you've got to label that you put a, a picture up and it's filtered or doctored in some way, and you've then got to say, you know, okay, knowing for well, while I look great in this picture, but it's not actually real, are you really going to want to be that influencer that's done that? Mm. Are we going to find a Kim Kardashian of this world, then putting those pictures up? And I'm, I'm not blaming Kim Kardashian, but it's the first <laughs> name that kind of comes to mind. Because what it will probably do is then create a bit of a movement which will move away from people like me and you feeling like they need to edit their content. Mm. That's the plan anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that the aspect of labeling um, and having disclaimers out there is quite important. Um, there's been, that well, there are quite a few celebrities out there um, who have been caught out for using Photoshop or heavily editing their pictures, but some of these celebrities don't tend to agree to it or they just kind of brush it away. But then there are some people who actually stand up for what they think is wrong. Um, and they don't like the fact that certain pictures um, have been edited of themselves. But I, I was just wondering, when you, when you first started using social media, do you think that there was much of an attention towards body imagery?
2: I think there's a much wider question in there. I think, you know, if you look at diet culture, for example, um, and it's not something that I was aware of until I kind of started the campaign, but I don't actually know <laughs> one woman older than me that likes their body or even respects it. Um, I'm not saying you have to wake up every day and think, oh, my body's amazing, because mine certainly isn't. But I think after having two children, I have an absolute respect for it that I never had before. I look back of pictures of me at 21 and I've got my shoulder blades, you know, protruding out of my neck. And I thought I was fat back then. I think there's a, a societal culture that we are trying to be unrealistically thin or have all there's many things tanned toned you know all all sorts of things and there's there's much much wider picture behind that and whether that's um billion pound industries and so on as well but I think what social media has done is snowball that problem Mm. um because and then you've had Photoshop and Photoshop become available to the masses, and then all of the copycat apps that have come in place that can make you thinner because everyone's trying to be tall and slim and tanned and and this and that, and it's it's just snowballed the problem massively.
0: Mm. And I think also, like I completely agree with that—the fact that social media has exas- exacerbated the problem of like because there's always been this ideal or like body fashion or like what's in like quote unquote fashion and like almost commercializing human bodies but um on top of like social media I don't know if we want to start talking about the fact that it's interactive so there's like the likes and the comments that kind of that extra little buzz of you know validation or feedback or kind of approval that is not just your next door neighbor or your friends being like, oh, you look like Marilyn Monroe or like your body looks amazing or, um, yeah. you know, you look really slim. Therefore, you have worth. It's loads of people around the globe being able to access those pictures. And so there's that additional pressure, not even to look a certain way, but even for girls to edit their photos because they seeing photos of other people that's edited and unrealistic mm-hmm. Yeah. and or believe that that's a norm and then there's additional pressure to in order to get the likes that those those people have and the validation that those people have that you have to edit it as well and so yeah. the fact campaign hopefully will kind of discourage that and make it kind of taboo to do it um i think that's i mean amazing and i think something that's quite a uh, controversial
2: aspect of the campaign you know something I think and I haven't got any facts or figures that necessarily backs this up so it's just my thought process but I would almost argue that people that edit their content are more at risk of mental health challenges than people that are viewing it and partly that goes on even how I feel about myself, I mean, of course, I've got wrinkles, of course, I've got bad skin at times. Um, of course, in the middle of winter, I live in, in you know, not far from London, I'm not tanned. <laughs> um, you know, all of these things. Um, but if I filter a photo, of course, I look better in it. So then all of a sudden, a photo that I might have thought was okay. If I then put a filter on it, and then take away that filter is suddenly an awful photo. Mm-hmm. And quite often I've I've spoken about um, a few years ago, I was sitting on the tube and a girl of about 13, 14 um, was sitting next to me and she was using her phone as a mirror, as we've all done. And she had a filter on it and it just broke my heart. And I just thought, If you can't bear to look at an image that you are only going to see. No, you know, she wasn't taking a photo or anything like that. It was purely using it as a mirror. And I just thought, that's not right. It's not right. You know, people need to be happy in their body and themselves. But they also need to realise that... The way you look isn't the most important thing about you.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, me and me and Fahim were talking about this before the podcast. We're talking about the scent. The I mean, just social media. Being able to find your worth beyond that kind of the your worth as a your beauty or how you look, um yeah. and finding self worth in in you as a just a human being because we're all human beings and everyone is different and there's beauty in that difference and um yeah I completely agree but also going on to, um slightly a little bit onto still social media but um I was doing a bit of research into one of your um uh, blogs and you said that social media is not like you said not the, like the evil thing that you completely will condemn um and it's not the source of the problem but it exacerbates it and I was wondering if we could go down a little bit more talking about social media and how how I can best use it because there's not I think social media has has got positives and there's movements that for body positivity and also a way to connect to friends and start like for example your petition and movements and protests and bringing people together I think it's it got a lot of positives um so how can we go about balancing the positives and the negatives like do you think we need to educate children how to use social media use it wisely um what yeah. what other than your legislation what what can be done to you know balance I out think, the negatives
2: absolutely I think the genie is out of the bottle and it's not going back in anytime soon so social media isn't going away I speak to a lot of parents that say well we just need to not have social media and keep our young people off it. That's not realistic and it's not sustainable. And to be honest, in a digital world, you're probably doing them a disservice potentially as well. Um, Personally, I think we have to educate on how to use it wisely and support our real lives rather than taking away from them. I do think, sadly, there's been a whole generation that's been a bit of a guinea pig as to how it should be used more wisely going forward. Um, I think all of us, governments, parents, teachers, whoever you want to say, has um, been a bit slow coming to fore with this and, and maybe we should have had a bit more foresight. Um, we do have to take responsibility for changing things and learning from the mistakes of now, um, the reality is that young people are in a mental health crisis. You know, they've, eating disorders, anxiety, depression, suicide. They're, they're all up. All the numbers are up. Um, and as a country, we don't have the resources to solve it the charity sector doesn't have the resources to solve it, as well as the fact we're about to go through a cost of living crisis, um, which is probably going to result in a cost of giving crisis to charities. Um, So there is a knock-on effect around all of this. So I think there does have to be a lot more government intervention, um, educational intervention, but I think parents have to be a big part of that as well. And I think... um, as you said at the beginning, I'm I'm a stepmother of four. Um so weirdly, I had teenagers around <laughs> before I had children. Um and it's not as easy as, well, l- let me see your phone or let me see what you're doing. It doesn't work like that. Um, my partner, however, I mean, he's got children that are very varying ages. Um and he they have an element of respect for him because he uses the same platforms only to communicate with them. Um, but it, what I've seen is it makes a discussion about con, what could be concerns or worries or things that he worries about as a parent rather than it being confrontational. Um, so actually, he you know, if it's something, he'll say, have you seen... Or th- they'll have a conversation about it because they're not they're not kind of of the view that you're checking up on us, so there there is an element of trust and of understanding which I can only hope I've got when when my children get to similar ages
1: i'm I'm so sure you all you all have that, and i I really do um I really do see it that way um I think although it's so tough, parents should really understand and children should understand like the uh, age limitations for certain social media platforms. And I think with societal expectations and peer groups it's really easy for young young people to kind of uh, get onto social media platforms at a really early age. Yeah. Um, and I think with these age restrictions and limitations put in place, it really does help to prevent all of this for children and young people. Um, And even even just kind of monitoring the feed or just seeing what sorts of content um, young people are being exposed to is really, really important. And I think talking about it really will help uh, to create awareness and it will definitely bring bring up bring a new change just talking about it and of course things that we see online aren't aren't the way it is in real life isn't the way it is in real life but um just talking about it and just making sure that our feelings are validated uh, is really really important
2: absolutely and I think that's a, a really key aspect I think um a big uh consequence if you like of social media and the digital world as it is today is we don't talk as much um rightly or wrongly we really don't and everybody will say well we do as a family but the reality is we we just don't um but actually if you can find that time once in the day to kind of have a chat about it and you know, make it not about your child or your young person. Um, chat, try even if it's I don't really understand how this works. You know, I'll, I'll put my hands up. I have no idea how Snapchat works. I see my partner sometimes Snapchat his kids, I wouldn't have a clue how to open the Snapchat. Um, but have that conversation with them let them laugh about it in front of you you know because they will think what do you mean you don't know how to send a Snapchat?" um but that actually gets the conversation and the you're not doing this just to spy on me view away from it a little bit and mm, bring it yeah. out into the open
1: <laughs> having a conversation is a great start um and I think having a conversation within within your within your home with your family your friends is really really important but also having conversations at school um, because that's where we learn and I think learning about these things is is really really important but when uh how, what do you think about um, body imagery and social media being spoken about in schools do you think there is much recognition being made or how do you, do you hear about this being spoken about in schools?
2: I don't. I do know that there's varying charities and um, people trying to speak to various schools and put together some content for schools. I think it's a really challenging balance because I'm not a teacher, um, but I know people who went into teaching to teach a subject And now a lot of the time they're doing a heck of a lot more than just teaching a subject. They are looking at um, mental health or social issues and and a much wider range of problems. I think we have to be realistic around the sustainability of putting the issue on schools. Um, I think what we absolutely need to do is, of course, like you say to bring schools into it, because I think that's a really good format for understanding what peer groups and people of a similar age think and, and reaching a wider audience in one go. Um, but I think it's collaboration of parents, teachers, legislation. I think there's a whole range that has to go with that. We can't, especially as parents, I'm I'm very conscious of well, the school needs to do this because actually, I think there's a massive collaboration that needs to happen. But I do also think there's not enough conversation that happens around body image and the reality of struggles with it as well. Um, and like I say, when I look back, it's absolutely something that pretty much everybody I knew grow- growing up struggled with. Um, and what has happened now is a lot of people assume that boys and young men got away scot-free, but all that's happened is actually it's just dragged them in as well. So a lot of content, especially online and in the media, is made to look more muscular, more lean, again thinner. Um, so you tend to find that there's a huge number of young males that spend way too much time in the gym and it is massively over exercising um and there are new eating disorders and disordered eating issues that have come out of that um such as muscle dysmorphia which is a very similar issue to anorexia um around almost being scared of getting bigger but muscle dysmorphia is the opposite where you're just trying to get bigger in terms of muscular. So you're trying to get leaner.
0: Mm-hmm. It's I mean it is mental that how we are sold this image. And it's I think this is what why your work, Susanna, is so important, because we're sold this image that is literally physically impossible to achieve. And that's yeah. why and then then to have that as a like aspiration, no wonder there's an increase in disordered eating or body dysmorphia because you're never, I mean, the, the main, the main issue with body eating disorders is the fact that people feel that they're, they're unhappy with their, their weight or their, their how they look. Um, That's, I mean, that's not the main thing, but it's one of. um, So to have that in social media and, and constantly in your life, no, I mean, no wonder that is increasing. And, and this is what, I mean, I wanted to, to move on the, the the conversation to um if you're comfortable in terms of eating disorders um i just want to do a quick disclaimer for the podcast me um neither me or Fahina, are a professional psychiatrist we're not we don't know um we don't have all the information about uh, mental 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 illnesses such as eating disorders but i just wanted to quickly do a definition for listeners um just so we can clarify what we're talking about i've got this off beat um about eating disorders um people with eating disorders um use disordered eating behavior as a way to cope with difficult situations or feelings this behavior can include limiting the amount of food eaten eating very large quantities of food at once getting rid of food eaten through unhealthy means such as making yourself sick misusing laxatives fasting or excessive exercise or a combination of these behaviors um the most common eating disorders include anorexia nervosa bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder um just quickly want to put this in now this i will be putting a trigger warning in at the beginning of this episode but um also if you're affected by any of these things that we've discussed there are places to get help um such as beat mind or eating disorder association um just want to put that out there now before we carry on this discussion um but one of the i'm why this story is so incredible, Suzanne, is that um I think it comes from a, a personal story of yours or experience of yours of someone close to you suffering from anorexia. Um and I was wondering if you'd be comfortable talking a bit about how that how that experience was and any like maybe misconceptions or things that you were shocked um that you weren't expecting to find out about. Um, the mental illness and basically yeah how how you found 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 it being um someone close to you having uh, yeah suffer basically
2: well i'll be honest i knew absolutely nothing about anorexia um before we were affected as a family um and you say um was there anything that i was absolutely shocked by or things like that um Everything, absolutely everything, whether it be um, how it changed our family member, how long it took to get any sort of glimpse of hope of recovery, um, what it actually looked like, what was the issue versus what I thought was the issue, everything. Um, It was completely and utterly mind-blowing. But what I will say, and I'm absolutely not a doctor or a professional, and this is only from my experience, there is always hope. And don't get me wrong, sometimes it's extremely hard to hold on to, but keep doing so. Um, The person who is suffering needs to know they are loved, regardless of their eating disorder, Uh, Their behaviours will change. They will say things they may have never said. They will do things they may have never done uh, that you thought they would never do. Um, But it's not them. It's the eating disorder. Um, And one thing I have learned since then is eating disorders are not a choice. They are not something that anybody chooses to have. And nine times out of 10, they aren't to do with food, weirdly, um, which when I went into this, I, you know, I was probably the most ignorant person about eating disorders. I thought they were, a, uh, you know, um, middle income, white teenage girl problem is absolutely incorrect they affect everybody or can affect everybody um regardless of race age sex or any other categorization um and i think for carers friends parents i would say remember that the person suffering is the person they were before They are not now anorexia or bulimia or whatever it be. Um, Continue to show love for that person. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And the one thing I would say is every single eating disorder, regardless of what you may feel at times, can be recovered from.
1: Yes. Yeah. You can always recover from it. And, um, do you think that you had any sorts of misconceptions before you knew about anorexia and eating disorders massively massively i i realized
2: um that i thought it was something they would grow out of uh was probably the first and and regular one you probably hear quite often um absolutely incorrect you need a certain level of um support uh whether that be from professionals or family or friends or whoever it be um but it's not anything to do with age um i thought they were about food um and as uh, maddie said when she was given the definition there are a means of controlling something um to uh, to you may not be able to control what's going on around you but you can control what you put in your mouth or how many times you go to the gym or something like that. Um, so it's not often about the food. Um so that there are a huge number of misconceptions. So what I would say to anybody listening is If you are in a situation where somebody close to you or somebody you know is suffering from an eating disorder, do your research, find out about it. Because if you're anything like I was, what you think you know and what you know are massively different things.
1: Mm, Yeah. And I think another huge misconception with eating disorders is gender and that Uh, boys and men can't have eating disorders but they can um it's just something that we need to talk about because there is that misconception that men don't have it but maybe it's because men don't feel comfortable talking about it and we should have their voices heard as well i don't
2: think there's uh i don't think it's coincidence that the biggest Killer of men under a certain age is suicide. Mm. Um, when you also find that age group of men don't often talk about whatever's going on in their lives, so I would absolutely agree with you that there is a huge misconception uh, that it doesn't affect men. Um, I've met men since doing the campaign who were told by GPs that they. Um, couldn't have an eating disorder because they were male, um, you know, absolute madness. Um, and the same way, in the in in the same breath, uh, the there's very misdiagnosis and a missed uh, views of people who are from a different background to white people. Uh, so whether you're black or mixed race or Asian. That is often not diagnosed as an eating disorder, uh, against the same reason as men, and it's it's something that absolutely needs to be talked about more because actually eating disorders can happen to anybody.
0: Mm. No, exactly, and I think also something that I I don't think is ever talked about um, is the impact it has on the people who are around the people that are suffering because like you said that you touched on Suzanne um people that suffer from anorexia it changes their personality like anorexia is almost like this being that takes over in their mind this obsessive controlling thing that they can't escape from and it completely changes how they interact with the people around them um and so I think also the how to how to cope with someone who's looking after someone with anorexia I think is is also not really touched on and I was wondering if do you do you have any advice for anyone who is also experiencing um who also is close to someone suffering from anorexia
2: yeah I think that's quite often um those people are forgotten about even by themselves a lot of the time um and you know it, it perfectly analogies your your airplanes you've got to put your own gas mask on first um because actually if if you, you aren't looking after yourself you're going to really struggle to look after or care for that person um something i think is really helpful and it's My first thing I would say is absolutely try and get some support, whether that be um, from your GP, from family, from books, from online. Something I think would be really, really helpful is podcasts. And there's loads out there that talk about um, eating disorders or mental health challenges. And the reason I think they're really helpful is when you... Are caring for close to somebody who has an eating disorder, rightly or wrongly, it carries a huge amount of guilt and shame, and you feel very very lonely. That you feel like there's not anybody that you can talk to that understands. Um, And I think what a podcast does differently to reading about it in a book or online is it's so much more conversational. And it's really uplifting, and this goes for anything, not just eating disorders, but it's really uplifting to hear somebody have a similar experience to you mm-hmm. um in a conversational way, especially at a time when you feel lonely and and alone um because it's it's a voice, and it's it's emotion, and you can you can hear more than just.
0: Black and white words on a page. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I think I think it's bit what I hope that all the listeners are going to get from this is that whether or not they themselves are suffering from anorexia or know someone that is or are in the fortunate positions where they've never had to experience anyone who suffered from eating disorder, that the main thing I hope that people take from this is the importance to talk and reach out and communicate. Whether that's you're a teacher, a friend, a parent, um, talk to the loved one, talk to get some help yourself, um, because no one, no one should be suffering through anything alone. Um, and I think that's why, yes, yeah, I think your words are going to really, really speak to a lot of our listeners. Thank you, Suzanne. Um, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. I think we have one last question we want to ask you before we let before we let you go. Um, Avin, do you want to take it away?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I think it's really, really important to always think back to our past experiences and, and what we are kind of, what we're um, looking at right now. But is there anything that you wish you could have told your younger self?
2: I think... Um... What I wish my younger self knew that I know now is have absolute confidence in yourself, even when you don't believe it. Um, Because actually, people think I'm a lot more confident than I am. People I've spoken to at work or friends of mine or, or so on. you know, They have a completely different view of how I view myself um, and I think that's a really key thing to hold on to. Um, so actually, your self-esteem and your resilience has to be your number one priority. And if you feel like anything is draining that, then walk away from it.
1: Yes, you have to be able to respect yourself and to have those boundaries with yourself. and um, Just to get to know yourself more and... I think the more you practice that, the more you'll be able to love yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. I have I've learned so much with you and I've loved learning about your campaign and the journey that you've been on. Um, For anyone that's listening, please, please, please go and support this uh petition i will be uh, putting the link in the um spotify kind of summary of this podcast to so be able to find it um it's so important that this petition gets through this campaign um it's only got less than two thousand it's like one thousand five hundred uh signatures left which is so doable if we just all put our heads together and get this passed our 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 colleagues, our friends, our children are going to be so grateful for it. Future generations will definitely benefit from it. Um, All thanks to Suzanne's amazing work. Um, Also, just wanted to quickly say again, reiterate if you have been affected by anything that we've discussed today, please, please, please remember you're not alone. Um, There are so many places to get help, especially helplines. These are completely free, such as Beat, Mind, and the Eating Disorder Association um they're great places to start reach out to friends and family um but please don't suffer through anything alone um but yes Suzanne thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure